So if you fast and your point of fasting is to get other people to know how spiritual you are, he says, you've gotten your reward already. The fact that they think you're spiritual is all you're going to get. Jesus teaches that our purpose, the very baseline motive of why we do any spiritual discipline is for God alone. God has to be enough. So whenever we pray, whenever we fast, whenever we meditate or have intentional times of solitude or celebration, these spiritual disciplines are supposed to be motivated by God and God alone. God must be enough. Not what effect does it have? What outcome occurs? What do other people think about it? These reasons cannot be our primary motives for why we're doing them. Look over in chapter 9 of Matthew, just a couple chapters later. Jesus teaches about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, and then he gets questioned about fasting in verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees, the other Jewish religious leaders, they fast often, but your disciples do not fast? It's a fair question, right? Here's a common practice that everyone's doing, and here you are, Jesus, showing up on the scene as a teacher of this faith, and your disciples don't do what everybody else is doing. Why is that? It's a fair question. Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? Well, I guess it depends on who he's marrying. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst. The wine will run out of the wineskins, and they will be ruined. No, no. They pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved." Are any of you guys the Chosen fans out, out there? Any Chosen fans? Anybody watch the most recent episode? This passage and this teaching is referenced in the show that just occurred this past week. For those of you that watch, I found that to be a bit ironic. When Jesus is questioned as to why his disciples fast or why his disciples don't fast like everyone else and like they're expecting them to, Jesus says that his disciples aren't going to engage in this religious ritual traditionally connected with mourning and sorrow, with contrition and brokenness. He says right now they're actually celebrating. They're, they're engaging in a different spiritual discipline. They're rejoicing because the Messiah is with them. He says, however, there will come a time when the Messiah is no longer with them and they will return to this practice of mourning and sorrow and contrition and brokenness. And then he has this cryptic parable about garments and wineskins. Any of you guys brew or ferment your own wine? Yeah, one person over there. Does anybody sow? It's a dying art, isn't it? My kids my youngest in particular, he is a big fan of stuffies, what we call stuffed animals. And you know, as any child who gets really attached to their stuffies, they tend to break or burst or tear 
or get chewed in half. My oldest is in here right now, so I got to be careful what I say. Um, Nana has become my youngest favorite person in the world because Nana still has this ancient black magic art of sewing. And she can fix stuffies when they tear and they rip. And so my son prays for Nana at night to be able to fix his stuffies should a stuffy ever be broken. Jesus knew about sewing well. This was an art and a practice that was uh, alive and well, much more so in their culture than in ours. But Jesus says you don't take a patch of cloth that is unshrunk and sew it into a garment because that patch will shrink over time as you wash it, as exposed to the elements, etc., and it'll pull on the actual thread, right, on the actual sewed part. And he says it'll make it worse than it was in the beginning. And it's the same concept applied to wine that ancient peoples, and this is still practiced some throughout the world, you, for, you would ferment wine in leather bags. And those leather bags, as the wine would ferment and the gas is released, would expand, the leather would stretch. So wineskins, these bags that you ferment wine in, had a shelf life. They had a progression of a life. Leather would start out very taut, tight, and then over time, as you fermented in it, it would loosen. And eventually, it would loosen to the point where it was no longer worthy to be fermented in again because it would break. The leather would actually stretch and pop. The stitching would break, and it would ruin your batch of wine. So Jesus is using these metaphors about how we do these practices in life of whether it's creating wine or fixing clothes. He says, that's what my disciples' fasting is like. He says, you're trying to take this previous practice and this, this religious ritual of fasting, and you're trying to apply it to something new, like an unshrunk patch of garment or an old wineskin. He says, you can't do that. So Jesus is saying that his fasting and the fasting that his disciples embark on is a new kind of fasting, even when the bridegroom is no longer there. So for us, Christian fasting is not technically commanded. It's assumed, but it is a different kind of fast than even the Jewish fast. So how is it new? Well, I think this bridegroom analogy gives us a good hint and picture. The Jewish fast was almost an ascetic practice. It was a practice of foregoing, of, um, of bringing upon yourself some pain or, or suffering or, or without, right? It was a sacrifice. And this sacrifice was done to beseech God, to, to call out to him, right? To, to um, entreat him to act, and Jesus is saying, there's a new fast. This fast now has less to do with entreating God to act or some form of asceticism that I'm sacrificing something so that I may have some spiritual gain, but rather fasting now is about being present with the bridegroom again. That his disciples 
would know what it's like to be at the wedding with the bridegroom, to have the Messiah in their midst, and then later to not have him any longer. And that at that time, they would fast to be in his presence again. That this new fast would still be the same practice of foregoing food, but for different reasons. That now we're fasting to be in the presence of the bridegroom once again. To do that spiritually here and now, but also to long for that to be reality eternally. Could you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples, hearing him say this, and then a short time later, watching him die and seeing him raised from the dead? How do you think your fast might change? What would you be doing that for? If you had been with the Messiah, watched him rise from the dead and be given a resurrected body and ascend into heaven, And here you are, still stuck in the same life. Granted, with the power of the Holy Spirit, but still struggling with the same mortal flesh, the same temptations, the same struggle between heaven and earth that we still find ourselves in today. How might your fast change to long to be with the bridegroom again? John Piper said that when he was preaching on fasting and prayer some years ago, he said that a young man came up to him after one of his messages, and he told him a story that illustrated the kind of buffeting the body in prayer that fits a person for heaven. He said that he had referred to the South Korean church as pace setters in this regard, and that it moved the young man to come up and talk to him after the service. The young man said, I grew up on the mission field in Korea. There is one experience emblazoned on my mind to show the sacrificial dedication to prayer and fasting in Korea. My father worked at a leper colony and they had prayer meetings that met at four in the morning. I was a little boy, but my father took me with him, getting me up around 3.30 to get there on time. He would sit me down in the back where I could see out the door. And I'll never forget the one man who had no legs, no crutches, and was using his hands and crabbing along the ground, dragging his body to pray at 4 a.m. I'll never forget that. Piper says that rising early is a kind of fast. Coming to pray when it's hard to get there is another kind of fast. When we make such choices, we make war on the deceitfulness of our desires and declare the preciousness of prayer and the ever-surpassing worth of God. This past year, the microchurch pastors, we've all been starting this practice of having rhythmic prayer and fasting as a part of our corporate life together. Every month we would fast together And then we would have a prayer call online at the end of the night to break the fast and to pray and to share. And this year, we're wanting to invite the entire church to be a part of that. Now, again, I go back to voluntary and intentional, right? We don't want anyone to feel cajoled or twist-armed into pursuing the Lord, to be willing to forego even the most basic of things that keep our lives going 
for a time and for an intentional purpose to recognize our own need and utter dependence on God for everything that we have. And while we do that, in that process of letting go, in that process of sacrificing, to recognize where our truest desires are for Jesus, the bridegroom, to be with us again. Or better put, for us to be with him eternally. And that this process of fasting, this spiritual discipline, can help us to be even more clear and illuminated about this overlap of this kingdom of God that we live in, this already but not yet, this kingdom of heaven encroaching in and breaking in on this earthly realm that we live caught in between, just as we've discussed all last year. Fasting is an, is an integral part. Prayer is an integral part. The spiritual disciplines are a part of us existing in this overlap, that we don't just go on Every day, like the world, pursuing our natural desires, getting as much food as we can, having as many material items as we can, and so forth. No, that is not our existence. And yet, we're not also fully clothed. We're not fully living in our resurrected bodies where we're no longer concerned about such things like food and material shelter and possessions. We're stuck in this in-between, and these spiritual disciplines help us on that journey of the in-between. So next Tuesday, the 24th, we'll have our first church-wide fast of this year. We're gonna do it every month. It's on the calendar. If you need a reminder, feel free to subscribe there on the church website. I believe it's the fourth Tuesday of every month we're planning to fast together as a church. And then at 8 p.m., we'll have a Zoom link for anybody that would like to, to join to close that uh, day of fasting together in prayer. So it's going to be the same link. You'll have all that sent out to your email. If you're not on the church email, go to the website. You can get included there, and all the information will be sent out. But we want to make this year of 2023 to be a step forward for us in our practices of spiritual disciplines, both personally and also collectively. We're not going to cover all the spiritual disciplines that we could. We're not going to necessarily spend time unpacking all of them, but we're going to pick a few of the classic disciplines. Prayer and fasting are the most classic probably that it gets. Jesus says when you fast, right? These were practices that go before even Jesus' lifetime. We'll also talk about things like solitude, which is really easy for some of us and really hard for some of us others. We're going to talk about things like celebration. Did you know that celebration is a spiritual discipline? Some of us need help celebrating. I won't say who, but some of us need help celebrating, okay? We're going to talk about things um, like meditation, worship, and a few others. I'm excited. James and Mike is also going to be teaching some in this series, so I'm really grateful um, that we have this opportunity to do this together. I will admit and I will confess that fasting is probably my least favorite, least desired spiritual discipline of them all. I have wrestled and fought over the course of my faith and spiritual life to do this, sometimes more successfully than others. Um, I like food. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but I don't like going without food. Um, I get hangry more than the average person. My wife is nodding emphatically over there. Um, so as you pray, please pray for the pastor's wife as she endures the hangry man that is struggling to be 
in step with the Spirit of God and not his stupid metabolism. Okay. I just wanted to read these couple of quick passages here in Matthew. Obviously, you can uh, search throughout the New Testament and find all kinds of other um, examples and, and paradigms and how we approach our spiritual disciplines with God. But I'm really grateful that we get to do this. And I wanted to close with this one quote that I think will help launch us forward in the right direction with our fasting. My prayer for the Christian church as a whole, and my prayer personally for the Asheville Church Network, is that God might awaken in us a new hunger for himself, a new fasting, not because we haven't tasted the new wine of Christ's presence, but because we have tasted it and long with a deep and joyful aching of the soul to know more of his presence and power in our midst. Let's pray. Thank you.